podcast starts. Hello, everyone. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. And thanks for sticking with us. This show talks about horror. Horror in film, TV, other media, other items which we think of as adjacent to horror, and sometimes other things from our lives which we'd like to talk about just because that's who we are. I'm T.D. Velasquez, although as always you can call me Dan, and this week it's going to be another missed classic. For the first time on this show it's going to be a missed classic which I've seen and the other people haven't uh, until now. And to discuss the 1976 TV episode during Barty's party, I am joined by... Stella in Manchester. Hello Stella, and I'm also joined by... Ian Winterton in (laughs) Rainy Cheshire. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) What, sure about the rain or sure that he's Ian? (laughs) Confused by all matters. (laughs) Oh dear, that's just life. How are you both? How are you, Stella? I'm good. I'm tired and it's a bit of a slog at work, but overall I'm fine. (laughs) It's all good. Can't complain, as they say. But I can complain, actually. There's too much work and I want to go outside, but... I want to go and run regularly, but it gets dark really early and I can't, so there oh, we go. That's my only complaint. Oh, well, well you're, you're being very mentally positive and you're brightening our day by just being here. So how about you, Ian? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I feel like I've been on this computer. I'm still staring at with Zoom calls and writing my comic script, script, my comic strip script, um, which is the latest thing. Um, and yeah, I'm going buzz-eyed. <laughs> right. <laughs> As my mum would say. Yeah, um, yeah. And I feel slightly delirious from lack of sleep. So. Oh, nasty. But, but no, I think I know how you mean. Just what I needed was, was, was lunchtime watching Barty's Party for the first time. Which yeah, um, I, well, I imagine it would. Um, yeah. well, 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 we'll get to that. So um, there's not much in the way of news from my end this week, but I do want to say to the listeners, happy Friday the 13th, because that's Yay. when this episode is going out. If I'd have thought ahead, we could have done a Friday the 13th movie for this episode, but I didn't think about it. And also, <laughs> as long-time listeners might uh, remember... I've only seen one Friday the 13th film and I didn't like it. I don't know if any of them are going to appear in the Mist Classics um, section anytime soon. Um, I don't like it either. (laughs) (laughs) I guess um, not. not A list of movies, you know, when people say, "Oh, recommend a classic horror movie or you know one of the old greats," and it's never, never in those kinds of recommendations. I don't think. No, Uh, I've Um, seen the first two or three. I don't really feel enamoured. They don't do. They don't do it for me. Uh, Even as a kid, they were like slightly Freddy Krueger knockoffs. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was, but I wasn't that bothered about Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Compared to other things, I'm really bothered about. Well, <laughs> there has been a, a nice video by Red Letter Media recently, which I'll put links in to the show notes. I direct listeners to that. Where they talk about what they think of as the good Friday the 13th films. And they do sound kind of interesting, but they're like number four and number six. Right. So it's like you've got to get weighed that far into the franchise <laughs> before it gets interesting. 
Uh, whereas I saw number are one and was just completely underwhelmed. So. Are they that connected? Uh, it's are not they, so are much they intricately plotted throughout the saga. No, I, it doesn't <laughs> sound like you need to watch one to three to really appreciate four at all. And um, so, so that's what I'm, I mean. Maybe I'm tempted to watch four or watch six. Um, six does need to go on a spaceship fun. for one of them. Isn't the Jason X or something? Jason X is the one in space. Yeah. I've seen a bit yeah. of that. That's the, the one with... The uh, Moonraker of the Friday <laughs> the 13th. <laughs> well, uh, um, <laughs> and that's the the, uh, the Friday the 13th film that has David Cronenberg. Although he didn't direct it, he's just in it and he gets killed very quickly. Um, wow. So, I don't know. I've always thought that one looks kind of fun, but it's... Well, a slasher I, in space. I tell you what's good though. Um, there's, I kind of like the sound of Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, and I literally mean the sound because it's got an incredibly funky '80s soundtrack, um, <laughs> and uh, which I discovered by watching the documentary on Shudder. Um, what's it called? In Search of Darkness about '80s horror movies, mm. and just seeing the little bit on, on that. They did like a five-minute section about that film, and I just thought it might be worth watching this film just to hear that theme tune. But yeah. um, or listen to the theme tune on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> there is that option as well, Ian. Always. Um, so, on, on a kind of uh, level of horror news, uh, before we move on to the main subject of the episode, Stella, um, I've been wanting to ask you about The Walking Dead: World Beyond because. Yeah. All I know about this show is that suddenly it appeared on my Amazon Prime feed. I didn't know it was being made, and now I can watch it. Um, where does it fit in with, with your kind of expertise on... on... Well, it's, it's, well, I've not seen it yet, which is a bit crap on my part, but it's on my things to do this weekend list. So The Walking Dead has got quite confusing i know i mentioned it on another earlier episode i think i talked about the announcement that they were ending the original series they're going to call it in their very confusing way that they've laid out um and you know the walking dead part of the strategy of the walking dead right from around 2012 2013 um charlie collier the head of amc was saying we see the walking dead as franchise it's not we don't ever intend it to be a series they did intend it always to be franchise so hence why all the spin-offs and and whatnot but I think the thing that I'm still unsure about in terms of the timing of the releases for the next bits of the saga or the next instalments of the franchise and why they've called the end of the original Walking Dead series is all still a bit clouded, I think, because I can't find why they've come to the decision that they have because lots of the other elements of it were working really well. So while the viewing figures in America were going down, the viewing figures are still so high that it's still the most popular show on American television, even though it's in, it is in decline in the States, but their global viewing figures are going up and up and up. It's an unstoppable trajectory. So it's like, okay, I'm not sure why you're doing that. But then also they're not saying clearly whether they were always intending to end it now at the close of season, would be the close of season 11. If they always intended that to be the case, that was their choice. Or if it's been forced by COVID a little bit, and if it has been forced by COVID, there's no real clarity from AMC or the makers of The Walking Dead or the producers or showrunners or anyone, um, what how it's affected their filming schedules. And I think they're being not necessarily shady about it, but not entirely letting us know, or say people who care about that kind of thing, people who's their job to research it, um, 
because I think they're kind of holding stuff back in terms of their advertising revenue. I don't think they want it to be that publicly known how much they might be struggling in terms of their production runs because, you know, they AMC is a channel that relies partly on advertiser funding, so they want to maintain their, yes, we're still a force to reckon with, we're still a great place for drama, and we're still going to be making content. So they're not saying, oh, yeah, we've had to stop all this because of COVID, or they're not saying, yep, this was always, always our plan, this is a strategic plan from way back. So I don't know, I'm not entirely sure how it all fits together in terms of all of their plans for The Walking Dead, but... I would imagine that this thing that's now landed for us on Amazon Prime in the UK is part of the bridge between what they had left from The Walking Dead and then, you know, any new content that's going to be on the way. So, yeah, it, 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 I guess in 12 months time it will make more sense. But I think for now, it's still a little bit. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Tell us well, honestly what you're doing. I've watched the first three episodes and I don't mind it, but I'm a bit like you, Stella, in that some, peop- some people like oh i don't know how many more zombies i can watch whereas i'm like i'm pretty sure i can just keep watching stuff to do about zombie apocalypses it never fails (laughs) to make me go to make me go yeah i love zombie apocalypses i'm obviously a frustrated prepper or something because the idea (laughs) of the idea of there being an apocalypse that doesn't cause massive pollution is basically at the heart of why walking dead works isn't it it's a prepper prepper fantasy when we go back to the soil and uh but um but i did find myself feeling fatigue watching <gasps> watch it i did it's it's and i don't know if it's because it's about kids there's, there's there's really good stuff in it but i don't know if it's because it feels a bit like you know when you watch stuff that's aimed at tweens and sometimes mm-hmm. you feel like well, this isn't quite for me. It's all right. Like the like one hundred, like the one hundred, or yeah, or Vampire Diaries, or something. Or Vampire. Like that. I've never yeah. seen a Vampire Diaries, but um, oh god, I watched all. The, I watched all of. I watched all of the Chronicles of Shannara. Um, <laughs> and I find myself watching it, but also going, I shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> and it's got that slight element of it's aimed at the kids. Yeah, it's right. about, and that feels a bit weird for the franchise. But what's also, so, so it does stuff like it doesn't show gore in the same way. So to have this franchise and then branch out and go, oh, here's one that the adults don't need to bother watching feels mm. like a misstep, especially because the stuff that is in there is is absolutely uh, a massive link to the whole rest of the franchise because it's, yeah. got, it's got the people, I think it's the people, there's a big hint that the people that took Rick away... Yeah people that Althea's trying to get in touch with in Fear the Walking Dead, it's a big hint that it's showing them more than yeah. any other season. It's showing the inside of their compound and it's showing a community that's in connection with them. So in that way, it's like, you've got to watch it. It's mm. essential, but they've chosen to do it through, in a, in, through these characters that I don't really go for because they yeah. are so young and they haven't none of, you know, even the people that have grown up and are tagging along with them feel like they're about 20. Right. So it doesn't, it's, but it's got some really good stuff in it. I wonder what um, certificate it has, because American TV gets a certificate like our films do. So most of The Walking Dead is TV 14, which is for 14 years and above, as it suggests. The occasional one was like for 18 and above, but generally it's aimed at 14 plus. So maybe they've gone for younger don't know if you're winding up your franchise to suddenly yeah. go oh we're gonna have we're gonna have the sarah jane adventures of the walking dead world 
feels like an odd thing to do and when it's got the plot lines that you've got yeah. to, to to understand this great big thing it ties mm. in with all the others and that's the great thing as soon as when they first branched off into fear the walking dead that was great and what was really great was when morgan turned up in fear it the was, walking dead. It? and it. it's like it's like you're in the same world yeah. and this has got those elements in it and you're going oh this is these are the people that are in are in the other two uh, franchises, but its tone is a little bit for the fact it's for kids. Mm, um, I'll have a look. But it might just be that I'm getting used to it. Cause it might just be that we're getting old. Maybe. Well, I don't think so, because I'm absolutely loving Fear of the Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, more than, more than ever. It's not that I'm just getting sick of this world. I'm loving Fear of the Walking Dead more than, more than I've loved, you know, any yeah. of them, I think. Um, right. Um, mm. But yeah, so it's a weird one. Um, but but they've got this whole thing about how them killing the zombies isn't a thing. It's like a big, oh no, you can't kill them. You push them away and you run. Yeah, yeah. And but what's really interesting is that they are the generation that were kind of five when it happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. they they are, but weirdly they've grown up in a compound, so they're absolutely crap at dealing with the outside world and they've run away mm, right to go and get to go and get their dad who's been taken by that this is not spoilers because this is all stuff you learn no no it sounds like um but their dad has volunteered to go to the people who you know the big spooky people that shoot people on site yeah. that, that that we Those. don't really know exactly what they're up to <laughs> but uh but it all makes me wonder if they are building up towards it them curing the zombie thing ah. As, because it is because he's he's a he's an immuno he's into biology and immune immuno diseases well that would and kill the franchise wouldn't it well that would maybe end the franchise so. yeah maybe they'll just find a cause because because now the comics are done and kirkman said he never wanted to have a reason for the zombie apocalypse it just was Mm. Maybe, I don't know. I'm definitely grasping at straws here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're they're trying to write in a a reason or a cause to the to the epidemic pandemic. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Maybe some someone ate a bat. Some sort of big conspiracy. <laughs> well, congratulations, Ian. You've you've managed to make me slightly less excited about watching it, but. Um... <laughs> Even though some of the ideas do sound really interesting, but um... it's, it, well, that is probably a fair. It's yeah. basically I found some of it exciting on a story level, and then the reality of watching it was a bit hmm, forward one to the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, by myself nodding off during the last episode, I must admit. Well, so that's um, the Walking Dead world beyond. I'm yeah, mildly less excited now for more zombie action. Maybe I'll just watch some of my, the Fear the Walking Dead. My work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have you on here. Um, <laughs> you are the dampener. Um, <laughs> the dampener. So now is where we're going to start talking about this episode's missed classic then. And um, here is a point where I no normally I like to insert a bit of the trailer or something to give a bit of a flavour of what the, the film is like. But 
as the two of you will know, um, there isn't. This is not a movie. It's a, a TV no. episode from 1976, which consists mainly of two people talking to each other. So the trailer would be a bit underwhelming, and I can't be bothered <laughs> editing one. Um, so I'm just going to give a very quick description of what it is, because I, th- I kind I of assume. Noises. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> under the floors. That's yours. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ian, you found a second career as a as a rat impersonator. Um, yes. I wonder who did that on the production. So, um, <laughs> this is something that I always thought was was quite well known among uh, among horror fans. But then recently, I tweeted about it and discovered that it wasn't. And you guys had never heard of it. So, nope. it's a nineteen seventy six play, a TV play, uh, British called During Barty's Party. And I'll sum it up very quickly. It's basically about a middle-class, middle-aged couple who live in a big house in a remote part of Hampshire who are besieged in their house by super-intelligent rats. Um, we'll, pro- we'll get into more detail on it, but as, as you know, the two of you have watched it specially for this and had never seen it before, uh, uh, you know, um, let's go spoiler-free for, for the start of... Uh, of the chat but um in spoiler free terms stella what did you think of it uh do you know what i really really loved it i think as it started i was a bit oh these two people are going to get on my nerves um because yeah they're very middle class and it's a very rp accent isn't it and oh yeah i was struggling a bit with the 1970s gender roles (laughs) Yes. Um, who said, and I bet you forgot about supper. <laughs> um, so, I, I, yeah, I thought I might struggle with that, but really, really quickly, well, not even really, really quickly, the the escalation of tension through it was just lovely. So, like, by the end, I won't spoil the end, but by the end, it was really, really mm. ominous, I felt. Like, just... really, and I thought there was that, a bit near the end again i won't spoil it but you kind of think it's okay yeah and yeah. then it flips it back around really really quickly there's only about two minutes left after that isn't there and then it and then it's just over and the credits roll and it's like it's what that was ni- what 1976 but yeah i found it really you can't see but i'm kind of shaking my hands in a sort of it's really ominous, flailing. ominous thing and I, i'm not yeah. i'm not scared of rats at all um but yeah i just found it really really good and really really gothic it was a really good gothic piece i felt and i've got a whole list of why it's gothic <laughs> yeah That's an interesting description how about I've you ian whole yeah i loved it as well i can't I, it, I can't believe i've never heard of it to be honest same i'm really sorry i've not seen it before wow i envy um, you both actually probably, yeah, I'm, probably, I'm probably not i'm probably not going to admit Ever again. I'm going to go, oh, yeah, Nigel Neal's uh, Beasts. And, uh, oh, God, I can't believe you've never heard of that. Um, Call yourself a horror fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, Nigel Neal is one of those things, one of those people who I've not known about as much as other people. Yeah. I, I didn't sort of grow up with him, other than I knew what Quatermass was, and I knew it was linked to Doctor Who. But I didn't, it's only been in later years, meeting people like you, Dan, and people like Gareth, our mutual friend, and which I've come to realise about the Sex Olympics and all the other things he did and what an amazing writer he is. Um, and so in a way, I've, I've got things like this to look forward to. But I just thought it was um, just, it wasn't just a horror film, it was apocalyptic. You could mm. imagine this was the end of civilization. 
all of a two-hander, which is amazing. And you don't even see a rat. But I will just say about spoilers, I knew so little about this. I didn't even know it was about rats. I literally turned on Mm -hmm. because I was just in a rush. I was like, I've got to watch this for tonight for the recording. And I was like, oh, it's called Barty's Party. I literally, I think I had it in my head that maybe it was a bit of a folk horror like Bender's Fen or something. I had literally no idea what it was about. Me neither. And, and when it when it first goes down to the skirting board, I was like, "What the hell is this? That's an yeah. odd shot." Yeah, it's a really odd shot because I thought it was going to be all folky as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally no idea. So in a way, that was one of the. I, I watched it accidentally, like the people in 1976 probably watched it, <laughs> like just not knowing what they're about to watch. You got three channels to choose from. Should we watch? Should we watch that Nigel Neal? Who's it? and it was terrifying yeah like yeah. like like what time what time was it on and, and was it on itv you know that I, it was on itv i don't know what time and it uh, and you know probably uh, seven o'clock because it was the 70s because yeah, itv certainly right, in right. those days there were diff- <laughs> yeah. well there are different itv networks around the country so yeah. i, I yeah. think the different networks would have chosen their own time for it and even things like mm. what order they showed the episodes in. So um, for the benefit of the listeners and for yourselves, I'll fill in a bit of the background to this yeah. um, and how I discovered it. So mm. basically, um, long-time listeners of the podcast <laughs> will have gathered that um, I love the, the writing of Nigel Neal and it's one of the um, topics that I'm fairly knowledgeable about. So he is the guy who we all owe TV horror too, essentially, um, from his show The Quatermass Experiment for the BBC in the 50s, more or less the first TV sci-fi horror. Um, and, you know, a long uh, and eventful career since then. He only died in 2006, and he only stopped writing for TV in the early 90s. Um, and But basically, he was kind of known as a BBC guy for the first 20 years, also of his career as a TV writer. I mean, before the 50s, he was already a writer. He, he had a he had short stories published and things. Um, but he kind of got browned off with the BBC. So in the 70s, he moved away from the BBC and he started writing stuff for ITV. And he wrote a one-off play, uh, or a couple of one-off plays in the early 70s. Um, and this kind of led in a roundabout fashion to somebody at ITV saying, why don't you write a whole anthology series? Um, And I don't know if they gave him a very specific brief. I don't know what the brief was, but I know that if you look at the series that resulted, which was called Beasts, the only real thing is they've all got to be sort of about animals and maybe scary, maybe. Mm -hmm. Because they're not. It's a really random series. all, All the episodes are very different. They're not all horror. Um, in fact, the famous, the, the probably the most famous episode is a horror one. It's called Baby. And it's basically about um, a, a pregnant woman in a rural, who lives in a rural setting. She's married to a dentist, country dentist. And she starts to um, believe, oh, I think they, they find a creature, but they're having the house renovated and they find a creature buried in it, which might have been the familiar of a witch. Uh, and, and it kind of, it, it's a story about, um, you're not sure if, if she's having like kind of some kind of pre-maternal delusion 
or if there's something supernatural going on. And that is very highly regarded. Um, like Russell T. Davis um, described it as the most frightening thing he'd ever seen on television. But in about 2006, um, I went to the cinema in Manchester with our mutual friend Ross uh, to see a screening of Baby. And we basically, we all, the entire audience just laughed their heads off throughout it. And it didn't come across well at all. I remember thinking, it's quite an interesting script, but I wish they, I, I, I wish it could be remade. I mean, I think it'd be an interesting piece to see on stage. But anyway, uh, there was something about it that made me want to give it another chance. And when I found out that a couple of years later, the whole TV series of Beasts was being re released on DVD by Network, I thought, OK, I'll give it a go. And I I, I watched it again and, and you know, I, I was still slightly underwhelmed by it. There's another episode which is um, kind of behind the scenes on the making of a horror film, which is very funny, but... I'm not entirely sure that's intentional. Um, there's an episode about an old man who thinks he's a werewolf, um, and it's got a great performance in it by Patrick Magee as the, as the old man. Um, there's an episode with Pauline Quirk as a young shop assistant who's got telekinetic powers. Um, and they've all got interesting stuff in them, but basically I didn't love it. And then um, the last episode of the series, and I think in some networks it was broadcast as the last episode, but I think it was the last one I watched, was during Barty's party. And because I've, I've been quite casual about the whole series, I just watched it while I was having breakfast before going to work one morning. <laughs> and it's like, whoa! Um <laughs> I just couldn't believe what, what hit me. And over the last 10 years since I bought that DVD, I've watched it three or four more times. Um, and I've showed it to people who've always been terrified, absolutely terrified by it. And um, and I did, I think I'd read like a note about it here and there, you know, like in um, Kim Newman's book Nightmare Movies, where he's got mm. this habit of just listing every single horror thing ever made. Uh, and... You know, and, and and there's like a page of that where he goes on about horror movies that have like rats in them or, or something like that. And he does mention this, but it, he just devotes like half a sentence to it. Mm. So I'd heard of it. But I, what I was confronted with was so stark and bleakly brilliant. And what I kind of realized last time I watched it a few weeks ago which is why I decided we should do this episode about it was it's just such an incredible example of escalating tension it's yeah. that uh, there's that slightly creepy bit at the start with the, the empty car and the radios mm -hmm. playing and and the um uh, the the keys are still in the ignition and there's the key ring is a skull and there's just a close-up of the skull kind of smiling. Oh, there it is. Um, and um, so that's just held up a photo. And, um, uh, you know, but you don't really know what that means. It's just weird. And then it, and then it just becomes a two-handed play, these two characters in this house talking. Yeah. And then, but the tension, so it, the tension goes to absolutely nothing, but then it builds and builds and it does, just doesn't stop building. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, and it's it's not just scary, it's also just 
really well constructed. Like yeah. you were saying, Stella, about the um, the sexual politics, they're actually not just they're they're actually there for a reason, aren't they? It's not yeah. just some mm. sort of thrown away in the seventies. Things were sexist, yeah. uh, and he hadn't addressed it. He did literally like like I, in a way in a way it's almost like this 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 needs to be talked about after the spoiler warning. Yeah. Yes, I would say, but but because, I would say. Um, but yeah. no, I, I think it's important to say it, for anyone who's um, yeah. thinking about watching it is, yeah, the, the sexual politics stuff is addressed. I mean, I think mm. that, um, and anyone who's familiar not with this, but with like Nigel Neal's other work, like the Stone Tape and this, yeah. Oh, yeah. both revolve around kind of blokey blokes who control the conversation. Yeah, and yeah. I, I just rewatched the first 20 minutes of Barty's Party today and I couldn't, uh, I didn't have time to watch all of it. But I was, you know, like the, basically, um, you know, we can talk about what happens in the first 20 minutes. Um, so uh, Angie, the wife, played by Elizabeth Sellers, amazing performance, mm -hmm. uh, is at home alone and her husband comes back from work um, and her husband is Roger, played by Anthony Bate. And she starts talking about how how she was worried on her own, and she even rang up work to to ask them if he was on his way home yet. And she ended up talking to the secretary, and he basically jumps to the conclusion that the secretary would have been delighted to get that call because she's because it, if you're asking about uh, your husband, it might mean that the marriage is on the verge of breaking yeah. up. So like the gossip hungry secretary don't feed her. Yeah, and he and he yeah. says something like. She's a ghoul. She feeds on broken marriages. <laughs> and, and Angie goes, well, she had a very kind voice. And he goes, you bet. You know, he doesn't even give her the, a second to get the sentence out. He's like so in control and, uh, of the conversation. And the lead character that Neil writes called Peter in the stone tape is very much in that mold as well. And yeah. not yeah, so much in the stone tape, but certainly in this, that, um, is that kind of trope is used very deliberately and it does something with it. Oh yeah, well, I think he, I've just listened to the Stone Tape, the, um, I don't, and I don't know if this might be because it's a, but I've listened to the radio version. Yeah, which was and I made don't know five they, years ago. Yeah, yeah, but, and yeah. I, I don't know, but the sexism's there, but also is undercut. And I, <laughs> and I wonder actually, because I've not watched the actual original Stone Tape for a long time, but having, knowing, how aware Nigel Neal seems to be. He wasn't, he was mm. very aware of, he makes, he writes strong female characters yeah. existing in a sexist society rather than just being a sexist who's not aware of it. So mm. I'd imagine in the stone tape, the bits that were on the Radio 4 version where the stupid men thinking yeah. they're the masters of the universe and the women are a lot more wise, mm -hmm. um, which, which is what happened in this. Um, yeah, definitely. Which, when we get into the spoiler section, we can talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About that. But that, yeah, yeah, I actually loved it. But also, he wasn't just a monster. He was actually quite a nice husband. Yeah, he, he, was, he wasn't awful. He, he wasn't like, oh my god, why, why doesn't she leave? He was quite nice. He was no, just... he was caring. He just has that way yeah. of that bullish way of being. I mean, he, it's not yeah. just yeah. about the type of husband he was, but that's probably what he was like at work. You know, he's, he's a, yeah, he's yeah. obviously a hard headed businessman guy who, yeah. who who is used to getting what he wants. Yeah. But he's can't. also, I mean, it was, it was, it was probably, it was part of the, that horrible period that lasted, well, 
has probably been going on for thousands of years, but in recent history, that whole thing of women being stuck at home, despite yeah. their talents, yeah. um, because you were expected to stop work, it was embarrassing to keep working. If you kept working after marriage, it was a bit embarrassing. It was a kind mm -hmm. of, you know, and this even in 76, women's libs coming out, but at the same time, lots of people were stuck at home being quietly desperate. Mm -hmm. Going mad. Mm -hmm. Just there were women. Uh, and so that, that sort of, the fact that she's taking pills, oh, I've taken a sleeping tablet and I've had a drink and that's quite normal. Yeah. That's what I was watching it going, how many drinks do they have? Because they get the whiskey out, then you get then they get the wine out, then the whiskey comes back out and it's like, you're not going to be able to handle this, you're all smashed. Let's put the drinks <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah, but also that was the time when, when you say you had lunch with somebody, you probably had about three pints. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and he, so he's just had a business lunch, hasn't he? But it's, yeah. there's, 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 there's so much going on underneath because it is, there is the fact that actually is this a marriage that's slightly in trouble because because they've reached that thing. There's the empty nest yeah. thing because obviously we discussed this when Kate, their daughter, when she got married, it's almost like mm. it's this automatic thing. Kate has moved out because she's got married. Mm. So you've got that empty nest syndrome. You've got a husband who loves his wife, but at the same time, she's he's allowed her to get into that desperately yeah. lonely situation of, her, of knocking around drinking too much because she's bored she doesn't know what to do with herself uh and there's that brilliant line where he just goes you know he's he sort of he sort of just he's just saying oh it's just you get yourself worked up it's quite yeah. patronizing it's, a, yeah. it's brilliant it's very, it just says everything there was Kate's letter, the gypsies, the fuse box. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very much of its time. Can you imagine? It's brilliant at creating a. It's brilliant writing because it just yeah. it just tells you without feeling forced. It tells you how they live their day to day life. Yeah. They're rural. They're middle class. Occasionally, they go. Oh my God, the gypsies have moved in. Are they yes. going to stay? Go yeah. I live in Cheshire, and it's still like that now. <laughs> but it's yeah. also a brilliant example of something Nigel Neal does quite a lot, which is just throw throw a lot of world building detail into mm. random, mm. kind of throw away very quick lines. You yeah, know, yeah. And, and you get a real sense of the history of this relationship. Yeah, from we those... know them, yeah, yeah. don't we? Very, very yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's it's brilliant writing. I mean, again, it's a type of TV that, like you say, it's very talky. Mm. It's and it, it would it, it would work perfectly on the stage, wouldn't it? Yeah, because, because you don't absolutely. even see a rat. They don't have even a crap special effect of some rats mm. or anything. They have nothing. Well, we um, can talk about that before we go into spoilers, because I think, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they've clearly made the choice not to show the rats. But I think it's interesting, and and um, it possibly build it, it, it's something that contributes to the tension, especially later on, that you don't even see the dog. They have a pet dog, which they yeah. talk about a lot, but it's yeah, off screen, yeah. and um, you know, the the off screenness of it kind of changes meaning as as the as the play goes along. Um, I just want to talk about the director for a minute because obviously I think it's probably, it could have been Nigel Neal, but I think the director probably decided, no, we're not going to see the rats um, mm -hmm. at all. And I think that's a very specific um, and astute decision. Not just because of special effects, although maybe, because um, Nigel Neal went on record and said that Basically, ATV Studios, who made this show, they weren't used to doing anything that wasn't like Crossroads at mm. this point. Um, 
and uh, the designers involved loved it because they'd never had to create special effects before um but at the same time that doesn't mean that so he said they were really enthusiastic which is great although um you know going off some of the other episodes maybe they didn't always do a great job although the the, the episode the dummy which is the one about the making of a horror film kind of takes the mickey out of the whole um set uh, bound special effects technician kind of side of things um but anyway this episode is very tightly directed and and it focuses it's really performance led um i think that's the director's decision it's all about those two characters you don't really you don't go outside the room hardly um i think there's only see two rooms of the house or maybe maybe three they go upstairs um, and they they go upstairs but do, do, do you go upstairs with them no, so they're in the, they've got a living room, they're in, the, they're in like a hallway, and then a, a very sort of dark kitchen, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So this episode was directed by Don Taylor, who's um, a remarkable figure. Um, he's could not unreasonably be confused with the American film director Don Taylor, who did movies like The Omen 2 and Escape from the Planet of the Apes and The Final Countdown. But it's not him. And he's a very different kind of guy. Uh, Don Taylor, the American director, was a kind of workmanlike bloke who who everybody loved. um, Don Taylor, the English guy, was a a very um, slightly prickly intellectual writer, um, playwright, director. Like Neil, he started working at the BBC in the 50s. He didn't work with Neil, but um, he kind of, directed a lot of live cutting-edge kind of plays. Um, in the early 60s, uh, he fell out with the BBC as well, uh, rather more quickly than Neil did. And in fact, the thing which pushed him out of the BBC was the arrival of the Canadian producer who was made head of um, drama, Sydney, Sydney Newman. Newman. <laughs> um, and he's the guy who basically created Doctor Who. Um, Don Taylor hated him. And just thought he was, he he hated kind of popularism and he wanted to make kind of serious, classically uh, worthy plays. Um, So he left the BBC. I think it is known that that Sidney Newman came up to him and and offered him the job of being the first producer of Doctor Who. Whether this was Newman's way of trying to extend an olive branch to this establishment guy who'd taken against him, I don't know, but basically Don Taylor went, no, no way, I'm totally not interested. Apparently he later regretted that. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, he, he wouldn't go for it. Um, Nigel Neal hated Doctor Who as well, so they had something in common there. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, I think, Taylor mostly worked in the theatre for 10 years and he came back to the BBC in the early 70s. He directed and wrote um, another episode of an anthology series, a horror anthology series in 1972 called Dead of Night. His episode is called The Exorcism and it's brilliant. Um, I think I, I, I slightly rate this slightly higher but it's really it's interesting and it was later made into a stage play and a radio play. Um, and he also wrote a play which I, the two of you might have heard of because a lot of people studied it at school. I didn't, called The Roses of Eam. 
about the town Eam that was, you know, sealed off um, during the oh, Great flooded. Plague. It oh, was, no. Yeah. It, um, you know, and everybody in the town died. So he wrote a play about that. Um, and it was staged on the BBC in the 70s. So he started doing um, BBC stuff again. And then somehow he just kind of got hired on Beasts as a director for hire. But he didn't do all of it. He only yeah. did two episodes. Editor down here just interrupting myself because I don't think in the conversation I really get across to Stella and Ian and therefore to you, the listener, exactly why I think Don Taylor is a fascinating artist. Back when I watched for the first time Rob Savage's terrifying host earlier this year, the first two texts that came into my mind as comparisons were honestly during Barty's party and the exorcism. Like hosts, they're both very small-scale, claustrophobic dramas which over the course of an hour escalate into pure terror. And it was only when I re-watched both recently that I realised they were both directed by the same man. And they're not just good horror. They're top-tier, burn-into-the-memory horror of the kind that nowadays only tends to come along once a decade, if we're lucky. Of course, Nigel Neal deserves all credit for the script of During Barty's Party, but I think Taylor deserves credit for giving it such impact because of his understanding of television as a medium and his ability with performances. And he never touched horror again. I think you could even argue that his other episode of Beasts isn't horror. More on that when we return to Stella and Ian. Taylor was a progressive socialist and an artist with a strong sense of social responsibility. The reason he came to regret turning down the job of producing Doctor Who was not, I think, because he was jealous of the success the series achieved without him, but because he came to see that had he taken the idea seriously, he could have used his time-travelling hero as an entry point for telling historical political parables. Taylor would have been perfectly positioned to create that kind of series. This is a man who, after he finished with TV for good in the late 80s and before his death in 2002, spent a lot of time writing new translations of pieces of classical Greek theatre. His horror work was a tiny part of his overall output, but it was so disproportionately brilliant that this horror fan is determined to go looking for his other work. So, back to the chat. But I'd quite like to watch the other one he did again, knowing that knowing more about him now. The other episode he directed is like the most bizarre plot I've ever heard for a a piece of TV. It's <laughs> Martin Shaw, a young Martin Shaw, kind of professionals era, plays a businessman who buys an old aquarium to convert it into a porno theatre. But he does not realise that the aquarium is haunted by the ghost of a dolphin. Of course it is. And the dolphin doesn't like porn. Yes. Essentially, that, that's the plot. <laughs> now that they are notoriously anti-porn. They're very yeah. prudish <laughs> dolphins. Um, so, are. <laughs> are, there I, any, are there any blowhole jokes? Um, knowing Nigel Neal probably not Um, I don't think that quite goes into his ambit but um, I do remember well I'd like to watch it again to see because I think based on Barty's party I know know, but it's like a wonderfully original idea but it's also 
I I almost want to use the word stupid. That's not fair. It's not stupid, but it's like so bizarre and left field. It's like what even what genre does that belong in? I mean, maybe it's like a it's like a twelve year old boy's written it. There's this guy, right, and he buys an aquarium, right, and what he wants to do with it, right, is then turn it into a into a pawn shop, right, and then and then there's a mad ghost of a dolphin, right. <laughs> so it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like... Yes, I mean that's why I want to it's watch it again. Boy, oh, it's somebody going. Oh, <laughs> really high. Take it a toke. This yeah. is really good now. So now. Um... It makes it, um, as, I, as I told you, Dan, I spoke when I knew we were doing this, I spoke to Ramsey Campbell. Mm. We're going to get him on at some point. Yeah. I got the impression from Googling that he he loves Nigel Neal, but yeah. that he liked Beasts and Barty's Party. But I think somebody on the internet was misinformed because I, I I said, oh, do you fancy coming to talk about Barty's Party? And he said, anything but Beasts. He likes <laughs> Nigel Neal, but he hated Beasts. And... Part of me wonders if he maybe he hasn't seen Barty's party, but maybe he's seen the shit one about the gold dolphin well, ghost. <laughs> yeah, because Barty's party was the last episode as well. Would I have watched it if I hadn't bought the DVD? You know. Um, yeah, yeah. After watching the right, he's got. He's. I think. He's. I think he's. I think he's lost it. He's. Uh, he's just done one about a ghost of a dolphin in the theatre. <laughs> The Mary Whitehouse of the dolphin world. And but I, I think he was maybe just trying out a lot of different things. He always kind yeah, of yeah. argued that people didn't understand when he was trying to be funny. Um, you know, the one time that he actually did try and write a, a thing which was supposed to be a comedy, everybody hated it. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, he was always trying to kind of edge in that direction. Uh, so there's a lot of random stuff, but... I think that's this your, episode does writer, show. As a writer, that's your fault. If if you if you're writing comedy and it's not funny, oh yeah, that's your fault. It's like I'm trying to write a horror story and everybody's laughing. That's your fault. <laughs> uh, well, no, tr- that's a fair point. But what I mean yeah. is, when he sits down and actually goes right, this is going to be a horror episode. He mm. knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, as this episode proves, and, you know, I was talking to you guys about The Woman in Black the other week, which I know mm. neither of you have seen, but, you know, that was written another 15 years later, and he still mm. knew exactly how to do it. Um, maybe... Quatermass scared the Jesus out of me as a child. Just... Oh, it's it's still really good. I mean, certainly the films and, yeah, and the yeah. later ones that exist yeah, yeah. the movie of Quatermass and the yeah, Pit yeah. is just a masterpiece yeah, yeah well there's a lot to be said for all writers for Stella's shaking her head doesn't know um, it, I really recommend it Stella um, okay. it's, it's really good it's uh, such a weird take on this sort of a ghost story but the ghosts are Martians it almost yeah. when you describe it, it sounds almost as random as the dolphin thing but it's not it's beautifully constructed and i watched the beginning of it mammals? the other week and it has that thing no. that that barty's party has of starting right. really quietly but you're kind of hooked into mm. it very quickly yeah. um anyway we, yeah, we could talk about that a lot we're not going to um that's for another time there's something about barty's party there's an element of barty's party which i wasn't in love with and All that right. is Artie's Party, the radio show. Okay, so I, I I wasn't which 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 for the listeners is during Barty's Party. It's because Barty's Party is a sort of commercial radio station 
with an absolute dickhead of a radio host, I would say. Yeah, he's um, crazy. Because I want to kill him. Um, <laughs> and and I don't know. That's that's the only that's the only bit I didn't like. But part of me thought because Nigel Neal, the old curmudgeon, did not approve of a lot of modern things. Culture, I think, yeah. and I think having the nadir of uh, modern culture while the apocalypse happens was maybe intentional as well because it's the most inane. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Kenny Everett. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's, he's obviously a genius, but but whenever I hear Kenny Everett's radio show, I hate it. I hate hearing Kenny Everett doing his radio show. I yeah, like or like TV Steve show. right now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I like I like Kenny Everett when he came on telly because that's all I knew of him doing sketches. But when yeah. you hear him doing his radio show with a million sound effects and and it just makes you want to shoot him. And uh, and I guess Barty's party came out of that. Yeah, it was a, yeah. It was a sort of fictional version of that kind of thing. Yeah, so I think it, it's clearly it's intentionally it's, awful. Yeah, but occasionally takes me out of it. I mean, look out, Basingstoke, lock up your cheese. It's, yeah, uh, it, it feels a little <laughs> bit um, crafted sometimes. I've written that. I've written that down in big letters. Um, Underlined. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, it's there for a reason, and it still still made me scared, but it. It was the only bit that took me out of it. It's the yeah. only bit I'd go, really? Is there not a better way of why during Barty's party? Could you not have, could you? It makes it makes me think how much, A, how quickly things were done in those days and B, how little script editing went on. Oh, you're Nigel Neal, write a script. Have you done a script? Oh, this is quite good. Let's film it. Yeah. Because they're like, hmm, should we have a meeting and should we maybe discuss how much we love it and hear some notes, maybe take out the Barty's party bit. I know you're going to have to change the title. But do we need, you know, do we need that radio GJ? Do you not think that may be undercut? Or could we turn it down a bit and still say the same thing without it being quite so irritating? There's, 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 little, there's little things like that that are fascinating to discuss because they're all the what-ifs of the writing process. Yeah. And, and, and you know, what would it do to, uh, what you know, what, what does having that radio DJ do to the what what are the pros and cons of having mm -hmm. it and i think it i'd have i'd have toned it down personally i'd have said yeah. you need something that represents how awful modern life is with those stupid commercial radio stations and inane drivel because which nigel neal often railed against um but did we need to have so much stupid talking it kind of took me out a bit of it quite mm. often although although this is this is me having a discussion about this. It was Nigel Neal in 1976 before. Uh, well, I, I think having maybe we that, could Having said continue. that, Nigel, um, I did absolutely love it when she's doing the right. Well, actually, yeah. Into that the, goes into again. spoilers. So yeah, yeah. let's go spoilers. into spoilers, everybody. Um, so if you haven't heard, seen this show yet, go find it. It's usually recommended. We're going to talk for a few minutes spoilerifically about it's it. We'll come back after the spoiler section, and me and Ian are going to tell you our real-life rat encounter stories. Um, <laughs> so you won't want to miss that, so I'm going to put that in as a time code. So you, you were in the middle of kind of rethinking Barty's... Party and, and the having an imaginary, imaginary scripts conference with Nigel Neal. I did, however, love the idea of the radio phone in getting cut yeah. off. 
Yeah. When, she, when really she's talking good. and she realizes they can't hear her, that's yeah. really good. So yeah. keep that. Um, I but, think the, uh, the, 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 uh, the reasoning behind the radio program, it's, it's, got, it's kind of silly and awful, but it becomes kind of comforting. And then that comfort is taken away. And then you have the, um, the you know, as, as we discussed, the savage ending. And, yeah. and the, 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 the savageness of it is massively underlined by the fact that you hear a bit of Barty's party again at the end, um, mm. where he says, you know, we can't find you, Angela, but wherever you are, I hope you do exist. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing final it's so line, good. isn't it? I'm going to suggest it to loads of people. Have you seen this? And they're, they're all going to go now, and I'm going to go, well. That's <laughs> because <laughs> I'm really knowledgeable. God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but, yeah, but, um, but no, no. I, I, it was the only thing that I would slightly go, it just occasionally took me out of it. But all the reasons it were there, I would keep. I would yeah. just, I would just she toned it down a little bit well but, I, mean, um, I think maybe you could argue that it... quite how, how connected we are now like it made me realize how if the power went off in 1976 you were screwed like yeah. it, they didn't even have a television in their house yeah or if they did you wouldn't switch on and go let's see what's going on on the news mm. like like they literally they have a telephone and a radio mm. and and uh and somebody somebody says something about rats and they can't possibly, and she has to go, phone him back, phone him back, find out yeah, yeah. what he meant about the rats. And, and that kind of made, it kind of brings home quite how it was the Stone Age. Like nowadays, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to tell the story because people would be like on their phones going, oh yeah, look, there's somebody's just uploaded this. Oh, look at this. Oh, just, you know, we were, we were isolated in 1976. So, yeah, yeah. Although I do yeah. think that certainly watching it from the vantage point of COVID-19, mm-hmm. it feels mm. not so dated, actually. You know, I mean, uh, quite early in the pandemic, uh, in the lockdown, the first lockdown, I dropped my phone down the toilet. And it was like... it. And then I, I, very, I had a really stressful two hours trying to work out all the things that you meant to do to dry your phone out. Because the idea of losing my phone was such a nightmare it's like i won't be on the family whatsapp group you know all, all, all the things which we, we need to connect us to keep us going in this situation yeah. kind of rely on technology and you just it's like recording this podcast as we did the other week when the internet just cut out yeah. it's like and what can you do that you, you know you can't um yeah so so the the isolation isn't too hard yeah. to imagine for me, but it but I know what you mean as well. It's like well, you do live in Oldham, so yeah. Too <laughs> <laughs> um, shy. It does it does bring us it brings us around to talk about the Walking Dead and the sort of fantasy element of the Walking Dead, which is we secretly want out of the society we're all locked into. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the same time, do we really? Because <laughs> yeah. would that not be terrifying? So, uh, but I, I do, you know, it's just brilliant the way A, the phone goes and then the light goes, the water goes. So, so Nigel Neal really knows what he's doing. I was watching it with a writer's head on going, going the, the massive themes underneath this simple situation are, he's going, yeah, civilization's decadent and shit. Listen to this radio station. And all the things you take for granted, he's got a point. The husband's got a pointless job. Um, yeah, uh, 
He's not yeah. good to his wife. The water goes off because the rats get the water. The rats get the phone. The rats get the lights. They, they, and that, especially in the seventies, that when nuclear paranoia was rife, the rats. Were I have to connect. The... Sorry, Ian. I have to correct you. You can't say nuclear on this podcast. Too many people get away with saying nuclear. It's nuclear. Nuclear. Sorry. It's one of one of my pet peeves. I don't know how I've said it. Anyway, Cold War, Cold War paranoia. Cold War, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the fear, the fear of atomic, atomic death. Um, is it, did I say atomic right? Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, yes, you got that all right. <laughs> um, and, and rats and cockroaches were very much something, all the way through my childhood, it was very much rats are the thing that are going to, you know, eat, eat, eat our bodies after the, after the apocalypse. You know, when the, mm. when the nuclear... nuclear <laughs> oh, you've, you know, you've given him a complex now. I don't, I don't even know how I was saying it. When the, when the, when the, when the uh, nuclear holocaust comes, um, it was very much rats, rats would, rats would feast. And, mm. and so, so there's that element to it, that, that rats being a, being a symbol of, you know, the bones of our civilization. So you get the feeling that whatever's happening is going to happen globally. It's almost yeah. like if it were zombies, it's about a suburban couple meeting some zombies and you kind of go, yeah. extrapolate the situation, everything's ending. Yeah. It reminded me, because I've been watching Survivors on Britbox, it reminded me that there's that, that sort oh, yeah. of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That. that 70s apocalyptic vibe, which I seem to... Lockdown seems to have got me massively into. I've been watching the Mad Death... Threads again, which is well, obviously eighties, but Threads, Mad Death, Survivors, and now Barty's party. <laughs> the, it's uh, it's yeah. very much. I, I I think that's worth a longer conversation because I love all yeah. those kind of things, but I've not been watching them in lockdown so much because I feel like the the perspective on them's tainted a bit for me. Or, well, maybe it is. I haven't tried. I don't really fancy going looking at that kind of stuff at the moment. But it's a good way of making you go. This is nothing. Well, no. The, the, the one exception is The Walking Dead. I have been watching that, and yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, as I said to my sister earlier on this pandemic, look, horror fans, we're okay with all this. We know it yeah. could be a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. Than a few people, you know, dying of the cold. Could so. Be. I think we've said in previous podcasts, but just watch Contagion and just, oh, yeah. well, that is our situation, but dialed, the disease is 11, dialed. COVID-19, mm. is, it's not even dialed up to 11, it's dialed up to quite a normal, it's just very contagious and very deadly when you catch it, which is, you know, which is just a few steps. I mean, that's what they've been putting up with in Africa with Ebola, yeah. which yeah. killed people in America. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Stella, um, now that we're in the spoilers, do you want to mm. talk about the, no. kind of what happens with the sexism kind of element of the story? Well, <clears throat> as a sexism expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because it was you who brought it up. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a few things I want to talk about, really. Mm. So I start with the sexism, and then I want to talk about mm. the gothicness of it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I found at the start of the episode, I did find the kind of the way he was treating her to be to be problematic and you know 1976 definitely problematic but like like you're you know you're both saying it is kind of dealt with by the end because by the end 
Ange, Angie, isn't it? Angie yeah. is the one that's brave. Um, because he's crumbled when he's sat on the stairs at the end and he's basically weeping into into his bucket or whatever he's got in his hand. She's mm-hmm. the one sorting everything out. She goes and gets the torch. She goes and gets the fencing masks. She says, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. So she's taking control by the end. And that whole, the fact that he doesn't believe what she's saying and he's almost belittling her and saying, you know, you're just a dream because of the sleeping pills, you're stuck in your head. So that mm-hmm. he's telling her that she's she's mad. She's the mad woman who's trapped in a domestic space, which is sort of, which is just a stock gothic character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did like how at the start of it, I felt that it was a bit, you know, a bit teeth grindingly 1970s sexist, but by the end, I think the sexism in it is resolved because there's a slight flip in the gender roles. She yeah. turns to him for help and reassurance at the start when he comes home from work, but by the end, she's controlling the shot and she's, she's reassuring him. This will be yeah. fine, we'll get out of here, everything's okay, and it's, it's completely, flipped which you know it doesn't end well because then they yeah get eaten alive by rats i think that's where we're ending up in this episode yeah uh, yeah. yeah yeah but and, and, all, and everything she said was right you know yeah, she's correct she, he's yeah, he's yeah. treating her like she's hysterical and fanciful and he's the practical down-to-earth yeah. guy but mm. but it it's her it's everything she says is correct and it's her mm. insight into yeah. what's happening with the rats mm. that is she's the turning paranoid. point of the story yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his his breakdown is brilliant because it's, it's not really just good, it? it's not just um, it's not just oh, it's a bit of sexism and then it's slightly turned on its head. He completely he gets hysterical and angry. Yeah. And oh, he's, he starts he hits the floor, doesn't he, with the poker and stuff? So he he, he wigs out. Yeah, yeah. Then... I'm going to gas the bastards. Aren't you going to watch? There's <laughs> yeah. another line I've written down. He's he goes mad. Mm-hmm. The, the impotent rage, and yeah. then he cries like a little boy. Yeah, so yeah. Angie, so, Angie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and she and she, like like is so often the way in, like, crap, patriarchal marriages. She's the mum, and he's the little <laughs> boy stropping around, being the masters of the universe. He's, he's master of the universe. Until the he needs to step with up. With my shit job, he, you can imagine him hanging out with Reggie Perrin. Being, being all awful um and when it comes down to it he's a little boy who's terrified and he's mm-hmm. whacking the floor with a with a poker I mean, well he, he has a stamping fit doesn't he he's stamping on the floor yeah he has a stamping tantrum like like a kid <laughs> yeah it's yeah. a tantrum and he and he yeah. shouts and screams and, and when he's uh, shouting she's like <laughs> yeah. Doing, <laughs> yeah i've yeah. got um i've got a quote here i found a quote from um neil himself and it's in um Lorna Jowett and Stacey Abbott's amazing book, TV Horror. Oh, great. Which was uh, one of the Bibles for my thesis. So Neil says this, he says, The strangest things ought to happen in the most ordinary places. If a monster appears in everyday place, it's much more frightening than in some gothic castle where you expect it to be. So I think that's quite, you know, it explains everything that's gone on in this episode because there's, there's a lot of gothic features in the episode, but they're just not happening in the castle. It's not, you know, mm. bats flying yeah. around turrets and stuff, but everything else inside the episode is mm. is of the gothic. And I don't really like talking about the gothic because I, I, I find some of the academia around the gothic a bit wafty and a bit, I don't know. It's just not really it's, like, it's one of the respectable ends of horror, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and that just bugs me. It's like, as long as it's, if it's gothic, then, you know, it's respectable and it's culturally mm. legit- legitimate and you can be as well, good it's, as it's it's all it is. It's, it's been around long enough. Well, yeah, that's all it is. It's because it's based on old texts. But Barty's party uses 
lots of elements of the Gothic and I've I've listed them. So, so it's a mood of terror and dread It's because and that escalates all the way through it. Gothic always invokes feelings of disgust in the viewer. So we are kind of disgusted and, you know, put on edge by the idea of the rats being around the house. You've got stereotypical typical gothic characters with the hero and the heroine where they're trapped, trapped in the domestic space. And the domestic space, instead of being a castle, is their nice house in what, Hampshire, is it? Um, and it's a small town in the middle of nowhere, so they're isolated. They're always isolated in gothic text. They can't just nut to the neighbours and get some help because they're in the middle of nowhere. Um, they're trapped at the hands of an evil character or trapped in their own home. So the rats are evil, so the rats have... The rats know what they're doing. That's kind of what the episode's saying, isn't it? They're, the rats have a plan. They're not just there for, for a laugh. So the rats are trapping them. There's some elements of secrecy going on. So in Gothic Tales, there's usually like family secrets come back to bite people on the ass. But in Barty's party, Roger tries to keep secrets from her when he spoke to his colleague on the phone. And he tries to keep it from her, but she sort of overheard it. So there are some secrets in there. Um, there's some sort of uncanny elements so when Angie's playing the rock and roll um record and he's like that's not for you so she's playing what does she play can't remember now she plays it's Lulu isn't it is that Lulu yeah so that's just really uncannily weird it's just out of place it doesn't fit with them and their dress and their house so it's kind of familiar to us but it's uncanny and it's weird again they explain it by saying it was one of their daughter's records I think yeah. yeah, which is um, great character work as well. Yeah, because we know who Kate is as well, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but without, without it feeling forced, Yeah, just a sidebar to what you but without it feeling forced, <laughs> brilliant writing, because without it feeling forced, there's a reason for the record and it informs us about their situation and their life. Yeah, and um, they might not just, have... Just in a little throwaway. They might not have understood Kate as she moved into her generation. They, you know, they clearly they felt, you know, a disconnect between themselves and their daughter. I've written down here, when did we stop using the word rock and roll? <laughs> like that. It's 1976. You don't you like don't rock and roll. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's like, when did, when did people stop saying rock and roll? <laughs> I don't know. But let's bring oh, it right. back. But let's bring it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then what else is gothic? So um, you've got the confusion between sort of dream and reality. So that happens happens in loads of hammers as well isn't it where the female character is not sure what's real and what's not real and you know you've got the whole issue with the dream and the sleeping pill and i've got that the mise-en-scene is very drab and dismal so it was 1970s interior design which is obviously brown (laughs) and even when so it's quite stark in their living room the lighting's really stark but when they go into the hall when they go into the kitchen the main house lights are off and it's just really dark and dank and and it's you know it looks a bit a bit Castle-y. Um uh, is that all I've got? The last thing I wanted to say is before you mentioned about how um it felt a bit sort of apocalyptic, so the rats were taking over everything, as the rats sort of come into the house and they they've chewed through the phone wire and they've chewed through the power lines and the lights out is like the last moment of sort of them hanging on to humanity because after that they're screwed. They're completely screwed. And I thought that was quite a nice step up in gear from it's not just you guys that are being attacked they've got a plan and they're going to take over everything it's another phrase that i remember because i'm a bit older than you guys but my dad still says it now when the lights go out that was that was that was the big that was the big fear that we've we've lived with this sort of apocalyptic when the lights go out um and and in the 70s it was so huge Mm. it was it was it was a because 76, obviously, we're, we're talking, they've had massive blackouts, they've had yeah. society, they've had the, they've had the, 
you know, they've had the oil There's crisis. The oil crisis, they've, yeah. And the had, idea had, of the not being enough power not is Not to mention Russia, Russia literally could launch a nuclear attack, you know. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. whatever you, however you say it. Um, <laughs> but just, just in terms of, just in terms of the horror, I wrote down the word jaws in a really, in really big letters because just as jaws is a shark you don't see, mm. and it's just the ocean, they have the floorboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and all it is is some actors jumping up and down on the floorboards. Yeah, and, yeah. And and you go, and because it's so well done, you don't go. Look at that! Actors jumping up and down the floorboards. You go, yeah. oh my god! There was a swarm. There's a yeah. swarm of nasty rats under those floorboards, and they could go. And it's. I actually felt such tension when they're just showing her feet. Yeah, yeah. In case a little little hands came around the thing. Out. Yeah. yeah, and the, the one shot where they. Yeah, and you see the kind of um, the the shreds yeah. of wood just as the as as the doors yeah, being yeah. eaten through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's really effective. I mean, yeah. it, it made me. It made me think. It did make me think. A, it's brilliant. It's brilliant on one hand that within the restraints of their budget, they didn't show anything. But mm -hmm. it did also make me think. This, this, this. If you remade it, and you kept, you kept the restraint, but then you did show the neighbours getting eaten from a distance. You mm. did show the rats bursting in. It would be amazing. <laughs> It yeah, if, it, if you used it, if you timed it right, it would really yeah, work, yeah. wouldn't it? Because um, I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen the rats. Um, the James Herbert. Yeah, the yeah. Rats. I've well, never read it or seen well, it. I, I have read it, and I think actually Newman mentioned it. In, in he was kind of illustrating in nightmare movies that there was like a flood of that kind of fiction in the seventies. Mm. Um, and and some of it bled onto film, but they made a movie of the rats in Canada, and I've never seen it. It's not meant to be very good, by, no, the, no. by the director of Enter the Dragon. Um, oh, right. But I have read the book. Um, but I, 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 I like it. the fact that this stands as a, a counterpoint to that. In the the thing about the rats is that it was, it's a, obviously it's a book, but in your imagination, it's extremely brutal and gruesome. Mm -hmm. Whereas this doesn't show anything no um but it just it, concentrates on the terror it's it's there's something horrible about like, they're like spiders in that we have they, they're a creeping scuttling things and as yeah. humans even if you're not phobic uh and i've i've seen my fair share of rats as i'll tell you later um and and i'm not phobic but there's something that makes your skin crawl and i felt that watching this i my skin started crawling but also um in 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 the rats in the, in the thing is there a reason why the rats are suddenly doing stuff because this is also a sort of yeah it's, it's like a mutation yeah because neil's got neil 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 suggests this is down to us and pollution and you know they've, they've become resistant and they've evolved because we've been killing them um, yeah so it's down it's, it's down to us messing up the world um, you know, instead of Triffids, it's rats, kind of, <laughs> kind of I, thing. I mean, I think it might be yours that caused the mutation in the rats as well. And at the end of the rats, it's like they're all controlled by a super brainy rat, and you see this giant rat with a huge brain, and it's all a bit right. daft. But I think the the indication is that it's pollution or something. Like the Rat King in uh, Halo Jones. Well, it is. It basically is the Rat King, yeah. Um, 
that's not a, that's not an idea that Alan Moore came up with in Halo James either. That's that's a medieval idea of the Rat King. Right. Okay. There's wood engravings of rats knotted at the tail. And, and, oh, okay. And they, and okay. they control rats. But um, but it's um, there's but there's but there's really good dialogue from from. And it's Angela. Is it Angie? Is well, it's both. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think are you going to talk about the big monologue? And I, I, listeners, I'm conscious that we're kind of running out of time, and I want to make sure that we have, you know, time for to, for Ian's amazing stories of real oh. life rat encounters. <laughs> yeah, well, but, I wasn't um, going to talk about the monologue so much, just but just as the odd bit, and just when she says they go for the eyes. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like, like with, with the like, fencing masks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for the eyes. And, and and the practicalities of actually, if you're about to deal with a swarm of rats, yeah, you know. it's brilliant that she is so yeah, practical yeah. in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's just now, a couple of things I want yeah. to mention. Ian, you were about to say something there, though. I, just, I was just about to say, just just she ends one of a big speech with, uh, "Now it's time for us to be afraid." Yeah. Well, uh, that's one of the the things. Yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, both this and Don Taylor's other play, The Exorcism, the big scary moment, mm. is a massive close-up on an actress's face, and she delivers a bone-chilling monologue. Um, mm. I think the one here, Elizabeth Sellers' performance is just so wonderful, but yeah. basically the camera just holds on her face for ages, and when she says, you know, um, I heard them screaming in the lane, and I don't know what happened next. And then there's a pause, and she goes, "Oh, but I do." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, lo I love, I love that. I love the fact that it's just a sign of good writing. Is yeah. they have the car with the door open, they talk about it, and even though I know all the tricks to trade, I was in it and I didn't. And when they came back, because if you think about it for two minutes, it's obvious what's happened. Yeah. I didn't think about it because I was involved in the thing. And when they do go, yeah. it's a lover's lane. Oh, and I, and I didn't go, well, of course the rats have got them. I went, I didn't, when, when they go, oh my God, I did hear it. Yeah. What, and we go, of course they did. It's so obvious, but I was so wrapped up in the, in the, mm. in everything going on that it was a real massive sting. Uh, yeah. In the, in the plot when you, when you suddenly realize those people have been eaten down to the skull that we saw at the beginning, basically. Yeah. yeah. Oh, everything's God. everything's gone, kind of thing. Yeah, the the, um, the use of kind of visual symbolism there is, and that's so and that's stunning. and that's and that's what Angie and her child-like husband have got uh, have, have got <laughs> yeah. awaiting them, and and as as have we all. So, um, <laughs> Ian, have have you got anything else you want to add about this? Because I've just got one thing to say before we'll we'll start to well we'll wrap up the conversation about during Barty's party. Um, I just I, I I guess just just the last thing I've got written down is is where where the where the radio does sort of uh, earn itself after the when when they go and they have to go we'll, we'll, we'll save your lives basically they go we'll save your lives after this break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's which we are obliged to take. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just uh, it's, it, the whole thing does foreshadow the fact that we're about the world is ending. This world of mm. morons broadcasting on radio stations, doing stupid adverts, um, is yeah. about to go. And, and isn't everyone's going to get eaten by rats who have had enough of our shit? I wasn't going to mention this, but isn't it an amazing moment when when they mishear the name? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you know, yeah. she says Truscott and they say Prescott. And uh, and it yeah, just yeah. seems like a bit of business that, oh, they've got the name wrong. But then it becomes so crucial. Yeah. yeah they yeah. know their name. And oh, and that's yeah, yeah. just a sock in the face when, when <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. you realise that they've got the name wrong. And the only yeah, other thing yeah. I wanted to mention is that I think uh, this is compared to The Birds a lot. And I'm not oh, yeah. the hugest fan of... Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Main, it's a wonderful film in lots of ways, but mainly because it's kind of like a melodrama. Mm-hmm. And there's only one scene near the end where the people are trapped in the petrol station and it's all mm-hmm. kicking off, where it's like the movie's actually about what it's about, which is yeah. the world's ending, the birds are killing everyone, guys. But like a huge yeah. amount of the film is like a romantic melodrama. Yeah. Mm. Whereas when you read the original Daphne du Maurier story, it's just about a family in a remote farmhouse, mm. and this they start to realise that the birds are becoming dangerous, and and suddenly ordinary things like we've sent the kids to walk to the bus stop to go to school. Did they make it to the bus stop? Is the bus coming? There's all kinds of tension that explodes, and that's basically what this story does it just Mm. focuses on people in that situation and Mm. nothing else and therefore it's just kind of hair raising for 50 minutes or whatever it is in terms of zombies to bring us back what we're talking it's kind of like the first um living dead thing in that that is that's the apocalypse seen from ground zero Mm -hmm. as in as in it's just it's just a taste in that one, the world's about to end, but these people know it first. Yeah, and yeah. all get killed, and all get killed, and so and the people. They're trapped in a house. Yeah, and they're trapped in a house. So in that sort of way, this is like this is like two people's eye view of it started in Basingstoke, <laughs> <laughs> and it's soon going to spread across the world. Yeah, it's the implication. Obviously, we don't know if it is, but that's 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 the sort of masterful way he's written it. Is, yeah, is, is you know there were there were literary devices where. Where if a character sort of guesses what's going on, it's a certain tone that you use, which is the author telling you, she's pissed, right. <laughs> like in Day of the Triffids when they go, well, perhaps it was some sort of war satellite. <laughs> yeah. he, he, doesn't, he doesn't ever say it's definitely a war satellite, but he doesn't need to say any more than that because mm-hmm. he's let you know somebody quite educated has probably worked out. Mm-hmm. Everyone's blinded because of a war satellite. And that's, that's a sort of similar... It's, it's common to a lot of apocalyptic stuff. We don't we don't need to know for sure, but we kind of need to have a heavy enough hint that we can stop going on about it. It's not a mystery. You don't need to worry about the mystery. Mm. It's, the zombies have risen because they've risen. Yeah, don't you worry know. about it. You don't. It, it's not. It's not important. Everyone's no. blind on Earth because of a satellite. Yeah. <laughs> what's happening it's now is what's important, yeah, yeah. not yeah. what happened then. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in this, yeah. it's the rats. We've, we've given enough pseudoscience reasons in the theories people put forward to yeah. know that is what's happened. They've evolved. They're intelligent. They're coming from us. They're not just, they're, they're trying to, they're trying, they basically want to wipe us out because we're a threat. Yeah. It's the day of the rats. And, you know, and, <laughs> and now they no longer fear us, you see, and she just yeah. works it out. So now it's, now it's time for us to be afraid. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. So on that note, um, Stella, Ian, it's been wonderful talking about during Basie's party with you. I'm so yeah, thrilled yeah, that you both loved it. I love it. Um, yeah, I'm going to definitely get my wife to watch it and whoever yeah. else. Oh, A whole brilliant. list of people that I'm going to press it's it lockdown, on. It's locked down, so I don't see anybody else. 
But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the in the future, in, in 10 years' time, whenever we're allowed out, I will go, oh, have you seen this? <laughs> but anyway, yes. Well, it lasted me 10 years, and I think it's going <laughs> to last a long time yet. So Yeah, yeah, um, no, it's amazing. Okay, so we've finished talking about During Barty's Party, but we haven't quite finished talking about rats. Ian and I both have stories about rats that we want to tell. I just want to let you listeners know, Stella's had to disappear for reasons of ordinary life, but she will be back at the end to um, to give us her recommendations for the week. But the she'll have to listen... on her bones. Yeah. <laughs> but she'll have to listen to these rat stories on the podcast to know what she's missed. So, uh, Ian, do you mind if I go first? Because I've got a feeling my story's not going to be as good as yours, but I would like to tell it. Um, well, go ahead. Well, it thank you very much. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just that a few years ago, uh, I was working in Stoke-on-Trent and staying in a motel, which shall not be named. I stayed in there for about probably more than a month. And everything was fine. And then one night... I just heard something rustling through uh, my food, uh, the shopping bags that were in the corner of the room. And I think I must have, maybe it was remembering Barty's party subconsciously, or maybe I, I just absorbed this knowledge from elsewhere, but I just thought, rats are afraid of loud noises, and I just screamed to make the thing go away, which it seemed to do. The next morning I said to the, the guy on the reception desk, I think you've got an infection, infestation of rats, and he went, oh no, I'm sure we haven't. That's never happened before. Um, <laughs> you, you must have imagined it. So I went, okay. Next night, um, it happened again. I heard the scratching again, and it was coming from the bathroom in the, in, in the motel room, and I'd left the bathroom door open. <laughs> and I just, and this was about 2am in the morning, and I was just lying there terrified, and in the dim half-light, I was just staring at the bathroom door, and I could hear the sounds getting louder and louder, yeah. and then, basically, around the bathroom door, around the edge of the door, it appeared, and it was <laughs> massive, um, to, to quote Danny from Withnell and I, it was like a fucking dog. <laughs> just this huge thing just appeared, and I just screamed, "Get lost, you!" <laughs> and it, and it did go away, and I leapt out of bed and slammed the door shut, and <laughs> it possibly emerged from the toilet itself. I don't know, but mm -hmm. anyway, um, I did not stay in that motel for another night. I found another place to stay. Jesus, uh, but I was. It, I'm so terrified. Rats um, coming out of the toilet, that's very threads as well. That's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's in threads. So, oh, God. So, how about you, Ian? Sounds like well, you've had some trouble. I, I, I lived in a, which weird, I grew up in the countryside. So, I first saw my first live rat, and he was only alive for maybe 30 seconds. Um, this isn't my story. This is just another rat thing. Because we had a rat, and he came in the house. And my dog bit his head off, and so that was that was that was about eight. Um, it was a massive rat, and then it was a massive half rat. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a bit more normal. Um, but yeah, when I lived in London, this was two thousand and four, I think. I lived in Haringey, and in somewhere that had quite cheap rent because I just moved back 
in Newcastle and I was had a job in London and and I was like, Oh, this is cheap rent and it's where my girlfriend lives. She lives down the road. Oh, this is cool. Um and uh it was over a kebab shop and it was owned by the post office, who were also downstairs, but it was also over a kebab shop on the other side, and there were rats everywhere. Um Ooh. Not necessarily in our house, but just in general, because there was so much kebab detritus in the streets and in the back right. alleys. So you saw rats quite a lot just walking around. You know, right. London, when you London is a city full of rats, but it got to the point where every night uh, a rat came in my room every night, and I was like, it was not like it was your hotel where you could just move out. I was. You know that's where I lived, right. um, oh, and no. it it came out it came out through a little hole, it, um, and it got so that you could just hear the scratching all the time. This is why Barty's party really got to me. I heard that scratching under the floorboards, in the walls, loads of different rats. It wasn't just one. You just heard them constantly. All the, all the people that lived there with me were like, "Oh, the rats in the walls." There's this and that. But I had a little. I had like a broken bit on my skirting board and then it just it started being one rat that came in every night and it was a huge fat thing and <laughs> so I'd be, but I'd be asleep and I got so that do you know it, it's hard to describe a bit like did you ever have a hamster as a kid uh, I had friends or, who had hamsters yeah yeah it's it was a bit like that but more meaty mm. and so I wouldn't be woken up by the sound I'd be woken up by the smell and I could, and because it was dark, you know, it'd be dark. And so I'd go, oh, the rat's in. Mm-hmm. And I'd lie there, a bit scared. And then I'd, and then I'd go, ah, and shout into the darkness. And I'd hear it scuttle away. Right. Um, and one time I woke up and it was on the damn bed. Um, and that was horrible. And I just thought, they're actually, I'm actually going to get Winston Smith here. I'm going to get, I just <laughs> eat my face off or something. It wasn't nice at all. And, and, and it happened quite a lot. Um, and eventually, I just moved out. But before I did move out, um, I was the only—I was the only man in this house. There were three other three other people, and they were all female. Um, and the rats started being in the kitchen a lot. And so, you know, you would get woken up because a plate would smash, you know, or they'd, or they'd, you know, it, it got it got so it was really getting it was, it was affecting our mental health. Just the general grimness of knowing rats were running everywhere. Uh, and occasionally into my bedroom. It didn't seem to go in anybody else's bedroom. But they're always downstairs. You could always kind of go, oh, they've pooed in the corner of the living room or or they've smashed something in the kitchen and you and you and they've started gnawing at the side of this. And it was it was quite oppressive. And so I was I was busy and the sort of person that doesn't get around to doing practical things. Um, but the 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 women in the house got together and bought bought traps. Um, but they didn't buy evil traps. They bought those Velcro ones. Um, and I didn't really know what they'd done because I just came home and went to bed. Um, but do you, know, do you know the Velcro traps? Well, my sister, um, Maureen, who I mentioned quite a few times on this show, <laughs> is uh, an exterminator. Oh, well, oh, wow. she, she's an entomologist and she's worked with companies that do that. Yeah, yeah. So we it's used a... to have like the fancy... Yeah. I bet, she, I bet Not... she introduces herself as an entomologist more than an Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Maureen, that was misrepresenting. But, um, yeah, and we had a, ma- a mouse problem at one point, so she gave yeah. us kind of fancy 
mouse traps, you know, non-lethal. Um, they're kind of supposed to be humane, but, but they're not. Um, yeah. But basically, what you're supposed to do with these things is they're cardboard and and they're and they're Velcro, and you're supposed to sort of move them around into a sort of triangle tube. Um, try, it's a sort of triangular tube with a handle on top. So the rat crawls inside, gets stuck on the Velcro, and then you go and drown them. Is is I guess what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you dunk you dunk it into a bucket and drown them or something. Or, mm. but what what the women I lived with did, they didn't do that bit. They just saw there were traps and they just put these squares of Velcro everywhere. Right. Um, and I was woken up by screaming. I thought somebody had broken in and was starting to murder people. It was it was horrible. Right. Because you know, we lived in quite a rough part of London as well. I was like, oh my god. So I ran downstairs with with a. Uh, just you know expecting a fight um or god knows what and and people and they were screaming at the bottom of the stairs pointing at the kitchen and i was like what what and they were like rats rats and i could hear things moving around and three rats had got stuck three of the fuckers big ones had got stuck on the velcro mm. and and they weren't stuck because only their back portions were stuck so they were moving around with their front paws Right. These Velcro squares being really distressed, screaming. Right. And, and and on top of the on top of the work surface and on the floor. And and it was just it was it was so nightmarish. Yeah. But the, the really horrible bit was I no one else would touch them and they're like, We're well, gonna have to do something. I like I don't exactly know what. And then we we were we were having some there was some building being done. So I went outside and there were there were a bunch of flagstones. Um so I basically cornered these rats one by one and dropped flagstones on them. Oh my god! <laughs> and each one of them looked at me and screamed before I did it. Oh it Jesus! Was, it was like, and then and then I was so at the end of it, I was so angry with them for not. I just went, "You can fucking clear it up." I'm just, <laughs> I went went out for a drink. <laughs> just like I was, I'm, I literally so I left these three flagstones with, with rats squashed underneath them. You know, one on the worktop and two on the floor. And, uh, <laughs> oh, jeez! Like, you're tidying it up, and yeah. And when I came home, everything they were bleaching the whole kitchen. And uh, and then we moved out not long after that because it wasn't worth the cheap rent. Right. But, but yeah, I still, I still, I can still hear the screaming of the rats. No, the I silence don't. of the rats. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ian, that might be the single most horrific thing described on this podcast, which is supposedly about horror. It's because it's real, man. Yeah. It's domestic. It was domestic. It was in a crap kitchen in Harringay <laughs> on Green Lanes. That's so, grot horror. Yes. In the Pete Walker style, definitely. Yeah. That's yeah. the epitome I'll of that. I stick it in a story. Wow, man. Yeah. Yeah, do. That's, oh, oh, that's extraordinary. Oh, I wish I hadn't told you that. I can still see the rat's eyes. They literally look like it was begging me. They're, they're sentient. Mm. And I murdered them. Ugh. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. so, but that was a genuine shudder out of Ian then. <laughs> yeah, but it's probably really did affect me because those mm. sounds are brilliant of the rats under the floorboards. Yeah, On, and something we didn't mention about Barty's Party in the sound uh, one of the did you notice that one of the voices on the phone was John Reese Davis? Oh no, 
Yeah, so like, um, uh, you know, five years before he became a movie star on Raiders of the Lost Ark and things like that. And uh, and obviously in later years, Lord of the Rings. And also he was in Shannaral, wasn't he, which you mentioned at the start of this episode. But yeah, he's the guy on the phone who says, um, you know, you're part of the universe. Um, Oh, yeah. And and first kind of tips the plot about the the super rats being seen yeah. swarming. Yeah. So again, that word universe is a uh, is uh, I meant to say is, that's quite deliberate, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, that's a, well because of the connection to the absolute end of everything. You mean? And 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 him being the master of the universe, he's a, he's a sort of master of the universe kind of uh, kind of bloke. Yeah, and um, oh, so good. Anyway, there's there's much more we could we could say. Yeah, yeah. Karen talking about it. Yeah. But I just wanted to get those <laughs> sweary rat stories recorded. Okay, so now it's time for our traditional recommendations at the end of the episode. I actually haven't got one, and I hope I've made up for that by the fact that when I was on my own on the show last week, I recommended loads of things, because I (laughs) I just couldn't make my mind up. But I know that the both of you have, so Stella, what what are you recommending this week? I'm going to recommend, now I guess it's not technically horror, it's fantasy really, but um, the second series of His Dark Materials has started again on BBC One, and it's on, on Sunday nights on BBC One at 8 o'clock. And it's a uh, adaptation of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy. And we're on to the second book now, The Subtle Knife. And uh, it's a BBC and HBO co-production. And the first series last year was really, really good. And I'm thrilled to see the second series is back. So the first episode is last week, which you'll be able to catch up on iPlayer. So if you've got kids that are about sort of nine, nine, ten years and up, then watch it with them. Or if you've not got kids, then watch it yourself because it's really 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 good and it's got talking animals in it as well so i've got to watch, watch this it because i love the books mm-hmm. and i didn't like the i watched the i watched Daniel the first, Craig film. compass no 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 i i, I didn't i watched a, i watched that but i also i watched no i watched the first 20 minutes of this of the first season of this the the, the jack thorne adaptation mm-hmm. and i just couldn't get into it no it is a bit odd Uh, i I had to watch the first episode two and a half times i I think i tried twice and i keep being told it's really good and so at some point i've got to break through because i really love that i love those books Mm. absolutely i I spend even before i'd read them i spend a lot of time in a room in oxford going to going to pitt rivers museum which is Mm. where it started and and so the whole i'm just completely i love oxford and i love philip pullman's writing and 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 I love Jack Thorne usually. I don't know what happened. I think the, the first episode that, wasn't that, fantastic, but it it builds yeah. and it builds. And by the by the end, I mean, yeah, it's pushed through it, and it's it's really really yeah, yeah. and it's really well done, and it's very so it is a, so it is a bit of a crap opening. Yeah, I think so. So I'm I think not by just the end going... of it, I was I was more. By the first episode, I was like, nah. But by the end of the first season, it was yeah, like, yeah. excellent. It did a really good job. So, yeah, I, remember, so I, I think I remember, anything that. Yeah. Anything that has to begin with like two screens of text to explain the world. That's like yeah, that's yeah. a misstep, isn't it? And uh, but it is a really complex world. So maybe yeah. maybe may, obviously yeah. they just couldn't think of a better way to start it, but mm. it's not a gripping opening. Um no, but it no, does become gripping. But by the time the polar bears are fighting, it, it's amazing. It's really really good. 
Yeah, yeah. When I first read the books, I, I, I think any time you read anything, it goes, I actually wish I wasn't a grown-up because I wish <laughs> I was 10. Mm -hmm. And those books made me feel that. They made me go, armoured fucking bears. <laughs> why, why, why do I have to be a grown-up? I'll never yeah. experience what it's like to read about armoured bears yeah. as a child. It's just never going to be part of my childhood because it, that's life. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm too old to enjoy these books properly. But, well, it, um, gives you that, it gives you that, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. I have to say, I've never read the books, but oh, I they're, did they're love the TV show. And just to pull it back oh. to horror, um, the actress out of a recent horror film called, uh, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> I've forgotten the name of it. It's called well, Nurse Joan or something. It's called Saint Maud, Dan, you bloody idiot. The um, same actress who plays Dutch in The Strain, um, plays uh, Serafina Peckler in the in the, in the oh okay that material so there's yeah. a slight um, crossover there but yeah I'm to I'm talking about Morven Christie anyway she, the really oh, good right. actress who just starred in a big horror movie she has a very scary smallish part in the first series of his dark materials I don't think she'll be back but oh, right. um, really sure. interesting actor so um, Ian what's your recommendation well. Like lots of people, I've just been watching CNN for the past uh, past <laughs> week, so I haven't watched a lot. But I was oh, just like, oh, I just fancy, too. I just fancy a horror film, and then Twitter was going crazy about something called The Dark and the Wicked, and I was like, that sounds brilliant. And I went onto everyone said it's on Amazon, and I went on Amazon, and they were like, not if you're in the UK. So. I've, my recommendation is something I haven't seen, just read about, and it sounds brilliant. Matt Zoller-Sites on RogerEbert.com um, is mentioning, he mentions Don't Look Now, The Tenant, Alien, and The Sixth Sense, all sort of, uh, he, he says they're uh, atmosphere and creeping dread, um, channeling 20th century classics, like Don't Look Now, The Tenant, Alien, and The Sixth Sense, which is... Uh, which sounds right up my alley, but it's also got um, it's also got uh, Marin Marin Island, who I you might not know her because she's uh, but I know her because she's in um, in that Amazon Prime show um, called Sneaky Pete, which right. I really like, but I probably wouldn't have watched if I hadn't had to review it. But I've reviewed it and reviewed it favourably. Um, and it's really good, but uh, I know lots of people haven't seen it. There's just too much content out there, isn't there? But Marin Island is brilliant. But um, it right. just—I've not wanted to see a film so much based on word of mouth and hype and reviews in a long time, and I can't. So Do you have to know if it is coming to Amazon in the UK, or why, why is no, it not available yet? I have no idea. Just right. because it's just been released, I take it. This is probably when it was going to be in a cinema. Right. And it's not. It's on Amazon Prime, but in the States. Um, so it just says this is not available in your territory. So I presume it's coming at some point. Right. So we'll, uh, we'll have a look. But, Fingers crossed. Sounds good. Yeah. But uh, worth telling people to go out there and get frustrated as well. Or if you're listening to this, from uh, somewhere that can watch it, go and watch it and tell us what you think. Good title. <laughs> so, the dark and the wicked. Yeah, yeah, I'm intrigued. Definitely. Right, yeah, nice yeah. one. Yeah, cool. Um, 
So that was today's episode about Miss Classic during Barty's party. Uh, next week we're going to be doing something that we've not really done before, which is just talking about a movie that we've seen before. And the movie is going to be Alien 3, uh, the controversial sci-fi sequel to my favourite movie of all time, and that might um, <laughs> inform my criticism of it. But the idea of us talking about it was um, it came from you, Ian. So, yeah. Because I uh, I heard the soundtrack on YouTube and it's amazing, uh, and I've been listening. I've been working to that soundtrack <laughs> for about the past two weeks, um, as I as is my want. I tend to just stick just the same soundtrack on. And right. It's no. Fits in with the sci-fi thing I'm writing. Yeah. Um, I know the but, method. Um, but yeah, but um, but uh, I realised I've just sort of gone. I hate that movie. But I haven't actually watched it since 1992 when I watched it in a cinema. So maybe I was wrong. Mm. Or maybe, or maybe, because it wasn't David Fincher then. He was just some bloke who'd made a movie. So maybe I will see all sorts of other things. It's definitely one to talk week. about. And it'll yeah, be, it'll we'll be fun. Out, we will find out next week. All right, <laughs> listeners. Well, um, that's us for this week. Hope you've enjoyed the show. If you've not seen Barty's Party, go tr um, track it down. And I think we can uh, unanimously say you won't be disappointed. Thanks very much for listening to us. Um, I've been Dan. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Stella. And um, some of us will be back next week with Alien 3. Bye, everybody. Bye! Bye! Bye. <laughs> you have been listening to and now the podcast starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Stella Gaynor, T.D. Velasquez, and Ian Winterton. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And Now Podcast. And now the podcast stops. <laughs>